0: Welcome to the Close-Knit Podcast, a podcast that showcases fiber artists from around the world. You're listening to episode 12, and this week I spoke to Nadine Hume of Adagio Males. If you follow me on Instagram, you might remember my visit to an alpaca farm earlier this year, and that was Nadine and her husband Andrew's business, Adagio Males. Nadine tells us about her journey with alpacas, how they got their own as pets, then tried to get their fiber processed locally, and all the challenges they faced with that. She shares with us her experience setting up this mill, running a Kickstarter to fund the scouring component, and some of their plans for the future. I'm a huge fan of local small production, and it was so thrilling to see it happening here in Australia. Keep an ear out for Adagio as they grow. They're on to something pretty special. Listen on for our whole chat. Hey there, it's Ani of Close Knit, and I'm here with Nadine, who... Hugh... We were struggling with the the pronunciation before we started recording. So Nadine Hume of Adagio Mills. Hey, Nadine. Hi. Thanks for inviting me here today. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining me. Um. So we are we have a very interesting internet connection because I'm in Hobart, which is like (laughs) semi-rural, not really, but kind of. And Nadine's in Orange in New South Wales, which is semi-rural as well. Pretty yeah, (laughs) pretty rural. So our internet connection is interesting. Uh, So bear with us if we have a few moments of funky technology. Um, Cool. Yeah. So I just want to hop straight into it with you, Nadine, and ask you a few questions about your sort of journey with fiber and the mill and all of that. Um, So what is your fiber of choice and what sort of craft medium do you gravitate towards the most?
1: Okay, so not surprising, considering um, at the moment our mill's processing alpaca. Um, alpaca is where we our our love has started us on this journey, um, and we've got some alpacas ourselves, so um, that's definitely one of our loves. Mm-hmm. And um, I initially started out probably more along the crochet sides of things, and I'm, I've gravitated as my knitting skills got a little bit better. I've headed down that path a lot more. But I still love both crochet and knitting.
0: Yeah, cool. So um, did you start out with the alpacas or with the mill? What was that sort of trajectory like for
1: you? Uh, it was alpacas, funnily enough. So so my husband and I moved up to Orange about nine years ago um, to for work purposes, we're both engineers. And along the path, we decided we loved the area and bought a small little farm and started looking around on, at what we were going to put on it. And... Um, we got in contact with a few different animal breeders around the place and started talking to the alpaca people and got really interested because they've got a padded foot, and our paddocks were right next to Spring Creek Reservoir, so a lot of our paddocks are quite boggy a lot of the time. So we started to get really interested in the alpacas because of they didn't have a hoof that would chop up the paddocks when they got um, when they got damaged, when it got wet and all that kind of thing. So we started sort of looking at the alpacas from that point of view, and then we found out how easy care they were, um, and so how little you actually have to do it with them to to keep them healthy and look after them. And so they sounded like the right animal for us. Um, went down that path and they became pets for us. They're a bit like our dogs. They come and we call them, they come, they eat out of our hands, really few <laughs> fuel them. They're gorgeous. We love them to bits. Um, and each year we have little babies around, which is wonderful fun. Um, but essentially they're pets for us. And we went and had some of their fibre processed by one of the other mills in Australia and they did an absolutely wonderful job for us. Love it so much and we just thought it's such a wonderful thing to have fiber processed out of our own animals that we, every time so I had needed something for my boys everyone comments oh isn't that beautiful again yeah, they've got this huge story that goes with it like, it was came from my farm and etc 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 that we started to go well why is no one else doing this and we looked into it a little bit more and then we sort of found out a little bit more and looked and ended up looking at each other and going well because we should be doing this we've got farming's not our background we do do that side of it for fun but running a mill and reliability mills and uh, maintaining and all that kind of stuff that is our skill set mm-hmm. and installing it and that's sort of stuff so we just got down got far enough down the path that we just looked at each other and said, we can't not do this we have to try and so here we are yeah. with a lot of blood sweat and tears behind that <laughs> and our mill's been over for nine nine months and yeah so that's that's kind of where it, we sort of in a way, fell down that path in a controlled manner,
0: shall I say. Yeah. <laughs> Falling gracefully.
1: <laughs> Maybe something like
0: that. <laughs> oh, I love that. And it's so interesting to me. I had no idea that you are an engineer and that was your background and how you kind of approached
1: the whole mill side of things. Yes, we come to it from a very, very, very different angle. Yeah. Yeah. So, I've always loved craft, and I've always been involved in it, but um, it's never been something I've tried to incorporate into a business sense before. I've always just done it for me. Yeah. Uh, and then so, when we started going down this path, it, it was the funniest look on my husband's face when he when I made some stray comment to him about four or five months ago, going, "You realize I'm going to have the best yarn stash ever," and you should <laughs> see the look on his face because out of everything that we thought about, that hadn't occurred to him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Just the I think that's something that's so kind of apparent to me especially in doing these um podcast interviews and just talking to other people in the fiber community is that there's this there's this knowing that kind of happens with other fiber people (laughs) it's like yes the stash Where like somebody who isn't a knitter or a or a fiber artist or whatever uh doesn't necessarily like glean glean straight away they're kind of like oh yeah I guess that was sort of an afterthought
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely but it's so part of it
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah um, yeah, cool. What is um, what would you say your favorite part about the fiber arts or like fiber world is? And then one thing kind of right now that you're excited about within
1: that. Okay. I, I love the fact that it crosses generations, it crosses um, time because you, uh, you've all got I've all, we, everyone's got something that either their grandmother or their great aunt or somebody has made. It crosses those boundaries, and it also clearly, as we're talking today in different states, it crosses space as well so I just love the fact that it, it connects people of, through something that's just so commonly loved no matter who you are so I, that, that's probably the thing I love about it the most um, and um and, and I, I'd be lying to say if it wasn't my mill that was most exciting <laughs> yeah Oh, no,
0: absolutely. So, absolutely so yeah
1: I, I could tell you a whole bunch of other things but, but I'd be lying to say if I wasn't excited about my own project <laughs> Of course.
0: So, okay, so
1: you've been open for, did you say the last six months? Was that right? Or did I miss Um, that? Our equipment turned up nine months ago. Um, But it's been a bit of a a crazy journey as far as we had a lot of commissioning to do and we had a lot of prior commitments around our Kickstarter, um, which we're very, very close, but not quite finished on that we had to complete before we could really launch ourselves. Um, So we started processing our first orders for um, processing customers about August um, and we launched our online shop with our own yarns in it um, in around Christmas. So our own brand has really only existed for three months
0: um, yeah. but we
1: have been pro- uh, doing processing for six months.
0: Yeah can you tell me a little bit about your Journey with the Kickstarter campaign and kind of how you came to decide upon that as a method for trying to fund the project.
1: Yeah, Kickstarter. That that was that was um an interesting experience, shall I say? It was wonderful, but oh wow, it was hard work. Um, we have got a lot of our backing through um, mortgages based on our, um, both based on our on our home and money that we've brought in from elsewhere from ourselves. So there was, a, there was a certain amount of things the bank could help us finance and there was a certain portion of things that they really couldn't finance because there was no asset for them to attach the finance to. And, and that was a problem for them. So in and around our washing facility in particular, um, there's a whole series of small assets but nothing that the bank could hold as security. So we got our we were in a little bit of a problem there because we borrowed as much as we could for the rest of the equipment and the startup and all those kind of things, but we knew we were going to have a shortfall and around the the washing system. And so, and I guess the other factor in that too is there was a couple of different ways we could set up. We could do it as basic as basic, but we really wanted to be able to do it in an environmentally friendly way. And we knew we were going to struggle to get it through our council regulations if we didn't do it as an environmentally friendly way. And so that was the reason we went to crowdsourcing was because we really wanted to set it up with the filtering and recycling. So we're recycling about 95% of our water and the Kickstarter funds were used for that. Um, and we also saw it as an absolute fantastic way for us to test the market as well to find out who was interested, um, did we get our market right with our pricing um, who was around who was likely to join us on this journey. And the other thing too is so few people ever get to do something like what we're doing that we really felt we have the responsibility to share that with as many people as we can. And that Kickstarter program was part of that, um, and announce that we exist to the world and come and be part of our journey, come and see what happens from day one, come and feel like you're part of that journey by being the first to have some of our yarn and... I really hope that we've achieved that along the way. Um, it'd be interesting to see, talk to some of our Kickstarter backers and find out if they really think we did. Um, but that's that was a much the driving factor behind it as anything else, was to just try and bring those people on the, that journey with us, help us fund something that we couldn't obtain other funding for and just help us get started. So mm-hmm. that was why we did that and it's wonderful. We've had 200 people who have an interest now in what we're doing and who we are. Hopefully they love the yarn. <laughs> I get wonderful feedback all over the place, but it was early days. Like it's
0: amazing,
1: even in three months, how much we have changed in what we're we're doing since then mm. as well. So, um, yeah, and and we we can't thank them more than enough for being part of that with us. So that was good. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think everything you were kind of mentioning completely, it makes so much sense in what you were trying to do. Like, sure, you need funding for it. But more than that, you really need to find out if people want this product and how they react to it. And and like you say, kind of this, you know, not to use like silly startup language, but like minimum viable product, like what is what is this base level thing that you need to get out into the world? And then how do you iterate on that thing to make it an even better product instead of having those open lines of communication
1: and feedback
0: makes such a huge difference for that, I think. It's
1: huge. And and we need that feedback from anybody who's got our yarn because we're going to be learning for years to come. (laughs) And we're going to be making our product better for years to come. But we need these people to give that that feedback to us, to be be willing to be those first customers, to be willing to to try it tell us whether they liked it or not what did they like about it what didn't they like about it? what do we need to change that sort of stuff and we've got some wonderful feedback in that space which we've just helped us grow immensely so that's, it just that whole system has just been fantastic yeah
0: so okay so that first batch of yarn that you did um that you processed how did you even know where to start with that like what was your basis like you know, we were talking before we started recording about kind of there used to be a pretty prolific wool processing, fibre processing space in Australia, and then it's kind of gone away. Can you tell me, like, did you talk to other people? How did you figure out what to do?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question, actually, because it was hard finding out what to do, and it wasn't really actually even until we started on this path that people then come out of the woodwork and you find out that there was actually a Wool Tops company in Orange not all that long ago, maybe 20 years, I'm not sure, don't quote me on that number, but <laughs> not but not within lo- um, a reasonable time frame ago. It was operating here, but for, for various reasons it's no longer operating, and the hard thing with all that too is the technology has changed so much. Um, so our information came from a lot of places, a lot of internet research to start with, and a lot of looking out there at suppliers, and we first... Started looking around what equipment we could, could we already get in Australia, and, and the answer was we couldn't find any. Mm. So then that opened up and we started looking out. And there's some um, equipment around the world that's available, but we were we were also really, really concerned that milling equipment's not known to be particularly safe to operate. And with our engineering background, and particularly in the mining space, we are uh, safety is something that was just so dear to our hearts that we wanted to make sure that whatever equipment we bought was had the the best safety systems we could find. Um, and through quite a journey, we ended up getting in contact with um, an Italian company who've got generations upon generations of experience in carding machines. And they found that their markets for big-scale carding machines had diminished. And so they've got into a small, what they call a laboratory size carding machine that they're finding quite popular around the world and started to branch out into different pieces of equipment. So we started talking to them and ended up building relationships with them, went and visited them, and they have sourced an entire mill for us. Some of the equipment is stuff they've designed as prototype for us and some of it secondhand equipment. So like our ball wind is second-hand, but our pin drafter and now our new picker that was turned up recently is designed by them for us to what we need for our mill. So um, it's very actually exciting for them as much for us in that we are the first mill of their creation from beginning to end in the world anyway wow so yeah so that's pretty exciting
0: yeah yeah cool man it's so interesting too that you couldn't
1: there was literally nothing in Australia is that right that you could there, there is there's mills around and there's some yeah. secondhand equipment around but there was nothing that would suit our purpose that we could find and mm. i can I can find a little bit more now that I know a bit more about where I'm looking I could find there's a few bits of equipment out there but yeah. Even if I went down those paths, a lot of it doesn't have the guarding that would stop somebody from getting injured if they made a mistake. So part of our reasoning for going for new equipment, it, it meant that it was equipment that has up to standard um, guarding equipment so that you cannot get a hand where it shouldn't be. Mm. Cause, yeah, because that's a real risk. Um, if you talk start, When you start talking to mill operators around the world, there's a lot of people who've lost fingers, hands, um, into carding equipment in particular, and so that was something that was absolutely critical for us. Is we weren't going to go down this path until we could get equipment that we could lay our, our hand on it and say, "This is safe."
0: Yeah. Wow. Oh man, I didn't. I never really considered the potential sort of casualties of wool processing.
1: Yeah, and, and and look, there's lots of different management techniques you can do around it. And I'm not saying by any means that any of the equipment operating in Australia is unsafe, because everybody has had to bring things up to safety. But we were just that was one of our driving factors for the particular equipment we selected was based on its safety.
0: Mm, mm. And I know we've talked a little bit in the past about um, about you guys kind of hoping to use this as an educational tool. Was that kind of part of your thought process around like? I want a mill that people can come in
1: and look at and see how it works and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, the premises we're in at the moment isn't quite right for us. But I, but part of our dream for this company is in five to ten years' time, it'll be a tourist attraction. that People can come in. You can come in. You can walk down a section of the factory and see how the mill operates, see the equipment, see someone um, operating it, even if it's not all of our equipment that you can see. You see a subset of it that gives you the idea of the beginning to end that you can come, there'll be a cafe that you can come and sit and knit and Mm -hmm. um, find local produce and find local, um, just become that hub for Australian-made crafting, that sort of space. That's our dream for it. It's going to take us a few years to get there. (laughs) And, um, And we actually hope that the mill we've got at the moment is a bit of a prototype style thing in that I think there's a market for something about four times its size of not necessarily bigger equipment but the same kind of equipment again
0: mm-hmm. so
1: that you, we have, for example particularly with alpaca one of the wonderful things about it is the different colors but then you um, have to manage how you clean down between so if we could set it up so we ran had a train of equipment running white train equipment running black the train running colors and then perhaps a, a special order or everyone wants to know about suri alpaca and, and things like that or maybe it's or maybe we change it so that then we've got a train that runs sheep wool or a train that runs mohair or wherever the market needs us to go, that's where we might, that's what we can sort of see happening, but long journey to there.
0: Yeah, but I love, I absolutely love chatting to people who are still in early stages of their project or their business or whatever it is, because I think it's just so, I think for me in particular, it's so refreshing to And and inspiring to hear people say this is the thing that I really want it to be but for right now this is what it is and like I know that there are going to be a lot of steps between now and there but I still have that big long-term picture in my mind and I'm making tiny steps to get there
1: yeah and that's exactly where we're at we have we have to pick we have to start somewhere and this is it yeah (laughs) exactly and 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 Um, and we really hope people come with that journey with us to get us to there because then we're buying Australian fiber. We're selling um, everyone and, and enabling that channel to happen. I
0: love that. Yeah. Cause it, then too, you you're in this position of really, really getting to find out what the need is as well. Like you were saying, like maybe there will be a need for wool to be processed through one of them and maybe you'll have different colors. And yeah, it's, I think that's really exciting.
1: Yeah. We're, we're that, and, that, and we're just, that's what we're passionate about. So, yeah, we're working towards it. Long journey. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to start somewhere, though. Ooh, and speaking of starts, I know that... Um, <laughs> making a silly segue here. Um, I know that you were saying earlier that you've kind of always been into craft and fiber and stuff. Can you think back to when it was that you first kind of... Somebody taught you to crochet or whatever it was that you first started
1: with? Yeah. Um, I, I guess... Um, probably my earliest memories of fibre-related arts. Um, there was a couple, uh, and I'm not entirely sure the memories of which happened first, but I have distinct memories of knitting a nose warmer on a guide camp, of all things. <laughs> I must have been about, I don't know, eight or something. Oh, my god! <laughs> and a nose warmer, a little triangle a square, which seemed so silly at the time and so stereotypical. <laughs> but for some reason it sticks in my head. Um, and I... And and it was just yeah, it was just a very funny experience. My friends and I all sitting there attempting to knit this nose warmer. <laughs> um, and I also have lots of memories of my mum sitting there knitting. She She's a, a very um, keen knitter and, and I had this jumper that I just loved of hers um, that for whatever reason didn't fit whoever she made it for and I claimed it and it was mine. <laughs> and I wore it till it didn't fit anymore. <laughs> um, and... Um, But there was always something going on in our house in front of the TV, whether it was long stitch tapestry type thing or it was knitting or crocheting. Or um, when I got a bit older, it was probably I spent a bit more time in the quilting space and it wasn't really till I moved back to Orange that I really got back into the quilting and then the knitting from there. Um, So it's I guess I've always got busy things in front of the TV and I can't sit still. (laughs) So (laughs) there's always been something that I've been working on along the way.
0: Yeah. I like that yeah it's it's nice. a lot of folks that I talk to have that memory of of someone a mother or a grandmother or somebody in the family like teaching them
1: early on or or at least a memory of them kind of doing the activity around them when they were young. yes, and it was always some part of our lives somewhere, whether it was something somebody else was working on or there was the blanket on the couch or you know some something somewhere had a craft, something floating around, and so that's always been part of. I guess yeah
0: yeah cool um so I al- always really like asking people about advice that they have and then tools for like staying motivated um I would love to hear kind of your b- biggest bit of advice and tip for motivation in terms of running um getting the meal up and running instead of running adagio I'd love to hear about that
1: well, that's very pertinent at the moment I <laughs> because we're, we're at some of those really hard stages and staying motivated is tough
0: because
1: mm. um, some days you just want to go and sit and ignore it all and pretend it doesn't exist. Um, but I've always been very goal-driven. I've always known what I wanted to do. Um, from an early age, Like I, I, I always wanted to be an electrical engineer. And from the day I was sitting at my little plastic desk in my dad's office, I was being an electrical engineer, so I w- I've always been very driven in where I'm going, what my plan is to get there, and how I'm getting there. So, um, so from from what, so I guess we we really started on this path probably three and a half years ago when we started seriously thinking about it. So it's quite a lot of background time that we had to put in before we even got the first bit of equipment here, and I think. We just had to believe in the dream. We had to believe it could happen. We had to believe wholeheartedly that this is the path we wanted to go. And both my husband and I had to both be in this wholeheartedly for it to happen. Um, and I guess the, for me, I just map out the goals, where we're trying to get to, and how we're getting, wh- what milestones we have to hit along the way. And they're not necessarily written down goals. Often it's in my head um, or... We had to formalise a lot of it in in the business plan, but it wasn't necessarily um, th- those steps along the way aren't necessarily mapped out. But they they are in my head, and I I know where we have to reach by when to be able to, and so that gives me a deadline. I'm good with meeting deadlines. If I don't lose <laughs> <Yeah>. them. I <laughs> everything turns up hair shaped. So so things like we're in the middle of planning. We're um. We've got a stall at Royal Easter Show, which is absolutely crazy for us because we don't even know what we should have there for that. But And it's coming earlier this year, so we ha- it's actually sneaking up and catching us by, a bit by surprise because it, obviously Easter's a bit in March instead of April. So um, that's keeping us very busy at the moment. And I'm just having to work out this needs to be done by when and just sticking to it. And if that means then that I'm up till 1am doing it, then that's what happens. <laughs>
0: And so you guys wrote a business plan
1: for the for Adasio. Absolutely. So, yeah. I guess that's some of the things that plays into our previous experience. In that, um, in previous workplaces, we've always gone through and done project work where I would be spending equivalent amounts of money of my company's money, where it's now my money, but company's money, where we had to go through and do, if not a business plan, a justification for that project to occur the steps and have the planning on how we're going to get there and, and, and have that level of justification for the company, for internal purposes anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just transferred the skills that we would do in that space across to this. And we couldn't believe the wonderful feedback we got from the bank and everybody we we're applying finances from. Right, I don't think they'd ever seen a business plan quite the way we put it together. <laughs> It, it was thorough.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine that an engineer's background would make you pretty thorough. <laughs> yeah.
1: and, and two of them, two engineers working on it.
0: Oh, <laughs> Dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So then um, what do you, what would your sort of biggest bit of advice be to someone who maybe wanted, let's say they wanted to start their own mill. Let's just put it
1: yeah <laughs> like right that. Out there. um believe in the dream and work out how you're going to get there write that business plan because it's critical mm-hmm. um, without it you're lost and it was amazing what we picked up by just the fact of having to write it talk to as many as you can people as you can um go and look um We're probably not far enough out of the journey ourselves yet to really give a lot of advice in that space. Um, Certainly come and talk to us if you wish. Um, And just know what you want to try and achieve. Yeah. And also probably don't listen to – you need to listen to the advice, but work out what advice you should listen to because the more I'm finding out, the more people buy in, think um, that you should be doing something other than what you are doing and it's very hard to hold to what um, you know will work when everybody else is going but why didn't you do this one and why didn't you do that and why didn't you do this and those questions need to be asked but you need to be very clear in yourself what you're trying to achieve
0: yeah I think especially that point is so huge because it's so easy to start with a grand idea but then get confused and swayed and changed about what it is that you're doing because you're getting feedback and like you say the feedback is important and it could make you um, see something that you would have otherwise perhaps missed or do something differently
1: but it's the resolve
0: is so key in that as well
1: and you just need to um, just keep doing that test back to is that part of what I was trying to achieve is it going to help me or is it going to hinder me Mm. (laughs) And, and, and just give it that sanity check the whole way through so easy to get sidetracked
0: yeah absolutely oh yeah i feel like that's something i need to apply to whatever it is that i'm even doing (laughs) a bit of like oh what is this thing just is it is it helping you achieve the ultimate
1: the ultimate goal a bit of sidetracking good yeah absolutely it needs to happen (laughs) otherwise life gets too boring um a bit of sidetracking is good but just which sidetrack you take
0: yeah yeah um who do you think we need to be following in the fiber arts world
1: yeah, I I was thinking about that, and that's a really hard thing to to pick. Probably the people I really love what they're doing um, is Georgie from Ticky Knits. I really like the space she's working in, and Amber O'Brien with what she's doing as well. Um, and as someone a little further from here is I, I've been a lot inspired a lot by Addict Twenty Four, um, Lucy from Addict Twenty Four. Okay. So. Although her ethos is and what she's doing with color is completely different from what space we're operating in, there is still a lot of inspiration I take from that into what we we are doing mm. as well. So they're probably is the three people I'm really looking at what they're doing. Yeah.
0: yeah, can you tell me a little bit more about um, Attic Twenty Four? The last one that you said I haven't
1: heard of. Oh right, her at all. oh no, she's fantastic. Yeah. I love yeah. what she's doing. She's um, in the UK um, and crocheting is her thing um, and she has the most wonderful colour which is completely different to what we're doing. I love watching her colour but yeah. she also has some really interesting projects on the go around a festival called Yarndale and the way they've done that and how they're running it and what she's doing I think is, re- is, is awesome and I would love to take some of the inspiration they have for that there and recreate that here. We're a little way off really yeah. achieving that, but um, but that, I guess that's one of my inspiration points of what I could see working here as well. Yeah, cool.
0: Cool. Um, so we will have links to those people in the show notes as well as a link to Adagio Mills so that you can see because Nadine is kind of working in, in what I like to call the neutral rainbow. <laughs> Uh, beautiful, beautiful neutral rainbows, which, like, totally make my heart sing. But we can have those as a comparison point for Attic 24, the colour, and then for the neutral over here. <laughs> I think there's
1: space for both. I, I really do. Totally. And and probably that's one of the things that really draw us into our packers, as well as all the functional side of how it would work on our farm, was just the fact that they have all these beautiful colours that are beautifully soft and just that range of greys and range of browns and... I, they're, they're they're things I love, and that was really drew us in, and um, we thought that that was something really achievable for us to work with.
0: Yeah, beautiful. I'm I'm completely with you on that sort of thing, because as much as I sort of love the idea of color, when it comes down to what I actually wear and what actually works for me and what I'm going to get a lot of life out of and a lot of use out of, it's it's that neutral rainbow. Yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> and there's also some really wonderful yeah. um, people working with colors. Here in Australia, a lot of independent dyers are doing lots of things, and we certainly—and I see uh, they, them as a very valuable space for us to work with as well. In that we can do those cream and whites for them to go on and dye, and they can—that allows them that space to operate in and and do that independent dyeing, but still the businesses all complement and work together, and I think um, that's something that. that I'm going to try and create in around what we're doing. I want to create those relationships between the Australian businesses in particular, but, um, to, to really, um, work that marketplace together.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so funny because, Nadine and I have had a couple of email conversations where I've basically said, you're doing exactly what I want to be doing. <laughs> like, you're you're branching the, the two markets that I see as so critically branched, the Australian producers with the Australian, like, consumers of and dyers and those sorts of things. And so, yeah, it's <laughs> in case you can't tell, I'm, like, getting really excited about the whole prospect of this all happening.
1: <laughs> and we love that fact, and we really want to have that connection with, Everyone in the fiber world to work together and, and just make this industry sing in Australia. That's, mm.
0: that's
1: we want to be part of that.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's that makes me, that makes me very happy.
1: <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad you agree with what we're trying to do. <laughs> we, we, we're, um, we we love all the wonderful feedback that's coming back to us too, and, and I think yeah, it, it really helps us in this tough space of our startup to have that excitement come in from elsewhere as well because that's also what we talk about what keeps us going is that that little bit of excitement that comes in from someone who's got their yarn they love it or someone we've talking to like yourself who's doing similar things that really ha- has liked it and, and all that kind of stuff that just that's one of the things that it, when we're late at night doing the paperwork keeps us coming yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely
0: well that's wonderful was there anything else that you wanted to have a chat about I don't know
1: I I think, yeah, hopefully I've um, let you know a little bit about the craziness behind us.
0: Yeah, no, I think that was great. And
1: hope to keep sharing our journey with people, and if anyone wants to know anything more, they're more than welcome to contact us.
0: Cool. Cheers. You've just listened to Episode 12 of the Close Knit Podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider reviewing it and rating it on iTunes to help us spread the word to more people in the Fibre community. The show notes for this episode can be found on my website, closenit.com.au slash podcast. Till next time.